Hello, Forever Family. My name's Shannon. I'm the Recovery Pastor. Today, we're going to talk about actual recovery, um, the topic of healing and recovery. So, it probably seems like something that someone from the Recovery Pastor podcast should be talking about. So, let's dive in. We're going to open with Mark 2, and it's actually verse 1 through 12. I'll let you read this on your own, but basically, Jesus has came and he's forgiving, he's forgiving sins, and he's healing a paralyzed man. Sorry, my voice is going, let me say that again. He is healing a paralyzed man. So, before we address the actual paralyzed man's physical needs, Jesus addressed his spiritual needs. He forgave his sins. Now, this astounded the scribes, exclaiming that only God could forgive sins. And Jesus proved that he could indeed forgive sins by healing the man. And this was an act that they physically watched happen. You know, that was a very unmistakable miracle of the physical healing that proved Jesus' identity and his power. God has the power to heal. He may not always heal physically in the areas we think that needs to be healed or in a physical way that we think it needs to happen. But God will always heal our souls when it comes to our, our walk of, of growing closer to Him. So let me say this because I think someone needs to hear this. At one point, I needed to hear this so many years ago. And, and that's kind of why I think I really need to say this now. So, so listen real close. Everyone needs and deserves healing in some area of their life. We're all born into sin. We live in a fallen world that's filled with hurts, habits, and hangups. We all, at some point, experience pain, sickness, difficulties, and trauma. People are broken by sin. And it's the sin of our own actions. And sometimes it's the actions of others, but we play a role. Sin tears us apart. It, it tears apart every fiber of our relationships. And then evil just infiltrates our thoughts and our lives. And it divides us from others and it alienates us. Most of the time due to misunderstandings. James 5.16 says, Therefore confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. It goes on to say the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. That scripture kind of ties back to the previous talk about accountability. Pray for each other. We're in this together. You know, you might find yourself in a place in life where you feel like needing someone or trusting someone is just too risky. That's okay. You might feel as if you just can't endure another wound because isolation was once your place of healing, but now it's become your prison. Maybe you feel like you're, you're being strong by telling yourself that I can, I can do this on my own. 
hate to say it, but that's a bit of arrogance. Maybe you're telling yourself that whatever happened was a result of someone else and they need to receive forgiveness. Hate to say, but that's a bit of self-righteousness and it will only leave you with bitterness. It can also cause self-deception and spiritual blindness. You see, broken and wounded people need to heal and that comes from a relationship with God. It comes from a relationship with God and it also comes from others who are working on their relationship with God. Let's be honest. Hurting people are filled with hurt. Our actions come straight from the heart. If our heart is filled with hurt, then we're only going to hurt others because we're dishing out what's in our heart. This is why in recovery we say hurting people only hurt people. But healed people want to help people. Let's jump back into looking at the scripture. So Jesus healed through his wounds. The prophet Isaiah foresaw this when he wrote of Jesus saying, he was wounded for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. That's in Isaiah 53. Peter understood this. Peter also wrote that Jesus bore our sins on his body. It was Jesus' body that was nailed to a tree. He died for our sins. He died so that we could live in him. It was his wounds that healed us. Because he, Jesus paid a debt we couldn't pay. He paid a debt that opened the door for us to have our relationship with God restored so that we could be in recovery. We could be healed. The part I was talking about with Peter is found in 1 Peter 2.24. So let me say this. Because we're talking about healing, we're talking about recovery. If you are battling chemical or alcohol addiction and you need recovery, please start or continue participating in a recovery group such as AA, NA, HA, CA, or whatever recovery group that your area offers. It is very critical to treat the physical addiction first. Once you've treated the physical addiction, you've addressed it, and you're walking in recovery, then it's time to take a deeper look within and address the wound that's beneath the surface. I'm talking about whatever the trauma is that you experienced and have not healed from yet that may have led you to a place where you sought to physically numb your wounds. I don't want you to to think I'm saying this because I'm judging anybody listening to this. There's absolutely no judgment here. But if you've not started attending a recovery group for your physical addiction, please search your area. Please see what's available in your area. Walk into that meeting for the first time. Because trust me, everybody has walked into a meeting for the first time. But hear me when I say, you deserve recovery. 
And for all those who have family members that are deep in physical addiction, um, in some areas they say that you are a loved one of someone in addiction, you also deserve recovery. Addiction is not just about the addict. Addiction does not discriminate. It doesn't care what side of the tracks you grew up on or live on. It doesn't, it doesn't care if you had a higher education or not. It doesn't care what color your eyes may be. It doesn't care what color hair you have, if it's straight, if it's curly. It doesn't care. Everyone, in some way or another, is affected by addiction. If you're battling from some form of addiction, and if you've ever said this, I'm not hurting anyone because I'm sitting here in my house and I'm using or I'm drinking and I'm not on the road. I'm not in public. Therefore, I'm not affecting anyone. Well, then let me say this. You're exactly where the enemy wants you. He wants you in isolation. He wants you alone. He wants you living in a pit of despair. He knows that we are our own worst enemy. So he uses us against ourselves. He makes us hate what we see in the mirror. He makes us hate ourselves so badly until we actually refuse to look in the mirror. We refuse to see ourselves. So we disconnect emotionally or we numb ourselves emotionally and physically. We disconnect emotionally from ourselves, our family, our friends, and from God. You see... The enemy is nothing more than a predator who has us in basically a spiritual domestic violence relationship. You don't believe me? Let's do a little role play. And you can tell yourself if you feel this way. The enemy sits beside you when you're alone. He will not bother you, but once you try to be strong or do something to make yourself happy, or do anything to make you yourself feel better, then he attacks you. If you try to stand up, then he punches you right in the stomach. Tells you how worthless you are. He can make it seem as if your life is absolutely falling apart around you. And that leaves you sitting, most of the time crying. But you will not confide in anyone around you out of fear. You feel so isolated that you begin to actually have thoughts of self-destruction. The enemy does nothing to stop you. If anything, your thoughts worsen until you find yourself at a breaking point. Now, let me tell you how an attacker in a domestic violence situation will usually act in a relationship. And what I'm fixing to say came straight from a website that's called thehotline.org. T-H-E-H-O-T-L-I-N-E.org. Okay, first, tells you that you will never do anything right. Number two, shows extreme jealousy of your friends or any time you spend with your family and friends. Number three, discourages you from spending time away from them because they can't control you when you're away. Number four, insults you, is demeaning, or maybe shames you, especially in front of people. Number five, prevents you from making your own decisions about anything, 
and will belittle your decisions until you no longer believe in yourself and feel like you no longer have the ability to make a decision. Number six, controls your finances and everything else that gives you a sense of independence. Number seven, pressures you into uncomfortable situations, especially around other people. Number eight, intimidates you through threats, maybe by specific looks or subtle actions, but usually it's done in public. Number nine, they'll threaten your children or your family members. Number 10, they may use weapons to intimidate you. Number 11, they destroy your belongings or anything that confirms your identity in culture, in faith, in heritage, anything that ties you to your ancestors. Number 12, they demand respect from you, but they show you none. You see, most times in a domestic violence situation, it first starts out verbal. And then it moves into verbal and mental, like head games. To the point you start second-guessing yourself. And then it moves into emotional. They have to break you down emotionally so you're not stronger. Friends, let me tell you. I know many people that have been in domestic violence situations and once they got out and it actually took someone going in to get them out, 99% of them said they physically never laid a hand on me, but they broke me down so bad that I didn't feel like I was worth living. So again, let me say this, please hear me. Both men and women can be victims of domestic violence. If anything I've said registers with you, please report it. There is no shame in reporting it. These are just a few markers or a few flags of what to look for in a domestic violence situation. My friends, you will never experience anything in these relationships that's of Christ. And you will never experience any of these in a relationship with Christ. You cannot recover alone. You cannot isolate and do this by yourself. We need the help of God. We need the help of each other to walk the recovery path together. We don't do this to be boastful. We do this because we heal together. We support each other. You know, if we could heal ourselves on our own, then let's be honest, none of us would need recovery. We would already fix all the stuff that's jacked up in our lives. But God's work of healing and recovery is, you know, it doesn't always take away every single wound. But what happens is those wounds turn into scars. And our scars are put on displays for others to see. And I fully believe they're put on display for others to see so that people know they're not alone in their hurt. You see, I do believe that hurting souls are drawn to healed souls. We ask God for healing and then we're able to rejoice when he heals our wounds. Because he takes our weaknesses and uses them as a platform to display his grace and his power in our lives. 
This is why you, you have so many people that are willing to share their testimony. They've been through the suffering. But they've also been in the presence of the ultimate physician who knows every hair on our head. You see, there's a great peace in knowing that God knows us on such a level that the enemy will never know us. The enemy can only speak to us about the areas where we see flaws. But those flaws are areas where God will use to speak life into other lives that may feel like they're drowning in the lies of the enemy. The enemy never wants you to understand that you actually have power over him. And that he has to flee in the name of Jesus when you stand firm in your faith. I want to leave you with this. When the enemy would speak lies to me in my early days of faith and recovery, I would answer back with a prayer of what I called the binding prayer. These are the words that I would say. And I've actually taught many that have gone through my step study groups. I've, I've taught many of them to say this in their own words, but basically a version of this. Again, this is called the binding prayer. So when the enemy would start speaking lies, oh, I would just take a deep breath. And I would say, devil, your lies might try to reach my ears, but they will never reach my heart. Satan, I bind you in every red letter ever spoken by my Redeemer and my Savior, Christ Jesus. I bind you in the angel wings so tight that everything you send out to try to use against me will only return to you tenfold. I bind you in the blood of Christ so you will never be allowed to cross any threshold or any entrance into my house, my family, or my life. I pray that when you lurk in the dark shadows, that the light of God will shine upon you and reveal all of your motives in destructive ways. I pray your lies fell on deaf ears. I pray your actions and your motives will never strike fear in my heart ever again. I pray that when my feet hit the floor, that you, devil, tremble because you know I'm going to put on the armor of God every single day and I'm going to carry my sword and my shield of God's truth and his word. I pray all these things with a heart chasing after God so hard that my life may be used as a pleasing, glorifying life only to my Lord. In the name of the risen and exalted Son, I pray all these things. Amen. I pray that you learn who you are because of whose you are. And you are a creation of the only one creator, our Lord. There's times when you just got to tell the enemy, get out of my house. No longer can you be here. Not going to stand for it any longer. I do pray for your strength. I pray for your recovery. So until next time, always remember, speak life. Be a blessing. Put your faith feet into action to cause a positive ripple effect. So until next time, much agape, everybody.